Greetings, everyone. This is Devon Carson with the Second Chance Leadership Podcast. I would like to thank you for tuning in today. I would like for everyone to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. And remember, Leadership Nation, we take risks, we embrace failure. Getting it wrong is okay as long as you get your hands dirty, you learn, and reflect. Let's enjoy the podcast. Can you hear me, sir? Yes, sir, I can. All right, all right. Man, man. Well, hey, that was great. I appreciate the uh, the call and this opportunity. Um, all right, let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, good morning, Leadership Nation. This is Devon Carson. I am here with the Dr. Christopher McDonald, who is my boy from way back. Uh, Chris and I probably have known each other for uh over two decades, I would say. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, we go all the way back to our days of Appalachian State University where we were both RAs together and Justice Hall. Big shout out to Jay Hall. Um, and <laughs> and we um, we lived a good life. Uh, I kind of say that we, we grew up together. Um, and, and we've been through some, some great times, and we have gone on with our professional careers now. So um, when I think about leadership, uh, I think about uh, – you know Christopher McDonald. Uh, he is he is the epitome of a leader. Uh, even when we were young and we were in college and getting into riffraff, uh, he would always be the one who would focus and bring us back and be our our moral compass. <laughs> till I said uh, So so with that introduction, I would like to welcome Christopher McDonald to Leadership Nation. Uh, Dr. McDonald, is there anything I left off of that introduction that you would like to add? Well, I don't know. I think anything in addition might get me in trouble um, and start bringing up days at Appalachian. Um, but no, I appreciate that. And um, I think it's worthy of note, especially uh, in reference uh, to your journey. I, in fact, hired, was part of the hiring process that gave you that position as an RA. So I think it was myself and my appraisal of your potential that ultimately got you to where you are now. So I deserve all credit. Yes. Hey, take it. Take it. I, I get it. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> no, other than that, no, I um I currently serve um as the executive director for housing and residence life at West Virginia University. Uh previously served in that same capacity at Georgia Southern University. Uh and prior to that I spent uh eleven years at Virginia Tech um in various uh, leadership roles in uh student affairs and residence life. Um, and before that, a small private at Loyola in Baltimore. Uh, so I've, I've been in all kind of realms of higher education, uh, public, private, land grant, regional, um, but primarily in student affairs. And I do consider myself uh, an educational uh, practitioner of student development. Uh, I just happened to find my way uh, into housing and residence life um, as an art, as an undergrad, when I after I met my first RA at 17, and I decided I absolutely wanted to do that, and um, it was a watershed experience, and and one that I got to share with you um, and a couple other people that are very important to us in our in our growth as uh, as human beings and as men and as uh, leaders, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been definitely a a long journey, a long leadership journey. 
Talk to me about your favorite quote. What has been your favorite leadership quote thus far? Well, the quote that I often share um, uh, with people, and I, I have to say that I, I try to, I believe I have to credit this to Emerson, but I can't be sure because I've actually tried to look it up, but it's something that stuck with me for a long, long time. Um, and I think as a disclaimer, as we discuss leadership, um, I think oftentimes people try to pigeonhole leadership as into a cliche, uh, a cache or a niche um, or a category, whereas I feel that you can find leadership anywhere um, and examples of good leadership. And so some of the things I'll talk about today may not fall under the general uh, rule of thumb of what people might find in the self-help part of a bookstore that says leadership. Um, but the quote that means the, probably the most to me, and I reflect on consistently when it comes to leadership, is uh, don't open your mouth and speak your mind unless you're willing to have it changed. Wow. Um, and that, to me, considering that I can be uh, very vocal and I can be, uh, I don't want to say opinionated necessarily in a negative context, but I definitely have strong opinions, um, and I love sharing them, and I like talking and exploring, uh, I don't believe a, a good leader should be um, in a place where uh, any idea they have, any uh, any approach that they have is so insurmountable uh, as to not be possibly adjusted by someone else. And that can either be an opinion or that can be a process. And so don't open your mouth and speak your mind unless you're willing to have a change. Love it. Love it. It reminds me of the old adage, you know, um, don't be getting your thoughts together as someone else speaks, but you need to listen intently and then after they finish, you can make a, a informed decision or informed statement based on that. And I, I totally love it. That that definitely sp- speaks to uh, an individual's maturity level when it comes to that. Because a lot of times when we get into conversations, we're we're just we want to do a point counterpoint instead of just uh, actually uh, internalizing what what the individual is saying. Great point. Yeah, yeah. the the tit, tit for tat is a minimization of discourse. I mean, wow. there, there's no listening. It's just uh, point, counterpoint, and um, as we consistently see playing on national platforms in all areas, there, there's there's no growth from that. It's just uh, building up bigger walls. Right, right. Uh, is there any particular way that this uh, quote has uh, applied or lived itself out in your own personal life or professional life? Yeah, absolutely. Um because, like I, I referenced before, some of my natural orientation to be um, extroverted and uh, believed to be a good communicator, um, I, I think there's oftentimes uh, an arrogance that goes with that. And uh, to make sure that I'm not so arrogant to feel like whatever expertise I might feel I possess, uh, that I'm ignorant. And then there's always more out there to understand and to learn. So whether it be talking about a process with someone that I work with that's part of my team every day, they have every opportunity to teach me something that I didn't know. So regardless of my experience or expertise, um, I have to be open to to learning from others Um, and appreciate that the different approaches uh, that exist to a solution uh, or an approach or an attitude or an orientation. So um, I don't want to speak my mind or enforce my mind, if you will, by say, like, for example, if I'm writing a policy I don't put it out and say, this is edict. I said, I've drafted this policy. I'd like you to take a look at it. If you think there's something missing, let's make sure we discuss it. Now, does it maybe go forward 80% whole and 20% added in or sometimes 90? Sure. Or maybe does it maybe go 95% whole 
but there always has to be an opportunity for someone to say, well, let's think about this. And, um, and then the other part of that is that I need to be prepared to teach people that if I want to ask second and third questions, I need to be prepared to teach people how to ask second and third questions um, to make sure that we're getting as full a picture as possible. So then there, again, is changing of mind uh, and change. Uh, so don't be so arrogant to not think that you can't learn something from anybody uh, that you encounter uh, in a given day. Yeah, and I want to not gloss over the fact that you just pointed out that we need to teach people to ask second and third questions. And I think that's a very essential piece of leadership because a lot of times a leader will be like, give me more feedback, but yet the leader hasn't, one, set up a safe space in order for uh, their stakeholders to deliver those questions or to deliver that particular feedback, or they haven't demonstrated or modeled enough or pulled out uh, the folks who will ask those second and third questions to to spark that discourse. And, and I think that's a real talent uh, that, that uh, isn't always developed in, in leadership, and it takes a real strong and, and confident individual, uh, confident in a positive way, to, to ensure that they are pulling out that necessary dialogue uh, mm-hmm. within the organization. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would never say that uh, there aren't times where I say, I, I often tell folks this, uh, 98% of the time um, I'm Chris, 2% of the time I'm Dr. McDonald. You'll know when it's that 2% of the time. <laughs> um, and hopefully it won't be a surprise. And it's likely led to that point versus, you know, I'm not just going to open a door and go, well, bam. Although they have this funny, I, I'm trying to keep it by being it's funny. They call it the Dr. Mac boom around here because <laughs> I'll come in and I'll say, oh, wait a minute, because they've been doing something for I've been in my current role for two years, and so there's still some things that I'm working on, and I'll, I'll address that in a little bit. But I'm saying, actually, I'd like us to think about it in a different way. I'll give them a reason, a rationale, and hopefully they'll take it. Sometimes it's just let's discuss it, and other times it's, yeah, no, we're going to do it this way. Um, and uh, But I always try and make sure I provide a reason why. And if they have counterpoints, then it can change, and it has changed. Um, right. Nothing goes forward 100%. Uh, I, I hope to never lose that perspective. And I got taught that um, by – some entry-level staff a number of years ago, that was truly a watershed moment um, in my leadership development. Awesome, awesome. So let me just ask this point of clarification. Is it Dr. Mack when you wear your bow tie? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, have been, I have been rocking the bow tie now for about a decade. And, <laughs> yes, you um, have. I ended up coming to a university run by the most famous person who wears bow ties in higher education, uh, Dr. Gordon Gee. And uh, so when I arrived here, there were some questions. So, oh, did you, Larry Bittner said, listen, I will never try to claim that throne. President Gee has got like 2,000 bow ties, okay? Wow. Uh, And they're all wonderful. But, you know, I've enjoyed these for a long period of time. So every once in a while I had to kind of assert, listen, I'm not trying to pose. I'm not trying to glom on and and kiss the ring. I've been wearing these. You go back (laughs) and look at pictures before. but no, Doctor. I think the Doctor Mac thing comes from I want. I never ask for the moniker. Uh, it comes up because I want people. Um, if they ask, well, what do you like to be called? I said, well, what do you want to call me? Um, you know, I said, if you want to call me Chris, if you want to call me Doctor McDonald, you know, if it's contextual for you based off of what situation we're in, I'll defer to that. 
I've always called my direct supervisor boss as trying to determine endearment as well as de- deference to authority. Um, I think that's from a military kid aspect. Um, and so I think we should be open to letting people figure out what fits them best uh, as often as we can. Um, like I said, 90% of the time, if you want to call me Chris, I'm fine with that. 2% of the time is Dr. McDonald, and you know that time. So, um, and, and I tried that to do that. And I have all these other little tells too, but um, no, the bow tie, the bow tie, the bow tie helps though. It helps soften the burn maybe. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, speaking about burn, talk to me about your biggest challenge you had to overcome inside your leadership space. Um, so there was, um, there was a period of time, it was actually even right before you knew me, where I, I found myself not knowing this is what I was doing, but I was absolutely resting on my laurels. I, I felt, I believe I was occupying a space where I felt like I was owed something because of what potential I had, not because of what I had earned. Mm. And when you grow up and you show promise in one thing or another and people articulate that, wow, you're great at this or, wow, you're exceptional at this or, wow, you have great potential for this, um, you might try and shove it off so you don't get a higher expectations, but sooner or later it can creep in your mind and think that, well, if I am these things, then why aren't these things working out for me? Um, and so uh, I'll never forget, it was uh, the year, actually, actually the year before you and I met, and I was taking that year off, so I had to stop out twice while I was in college um, for lack of funds. And I didn't want to, I was working uh, as, a, I got a job working in a sub shop. Um, and I'd worked in offices before and everything else, but here I am making sandwiches. Well, guess what? Daddy's got to eat, right? So you got to make a sandwich. You got to pay. I was paying my mom rent. She's not letting anybody live for free. So, um, I, but I worked really hard, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're saying, "Hey, we'd like to promote you to this, and because you want to do this, and blah blah blah." And um, so, I kept trying to get back into the industry that I had been in before while I was in college, which was office work, and it required me to go and do a process that. Um, I found myself questioning me doing that process, but instead of giving up on it, and ultimately didn't come away with a position, but what it came with was a lot, uh, uh, an absolute sense of clarity in that if I'm going to do something, if I want something, I have to go earn it. Yeah. Um, my promise, my potential means nothing. It's a, it's a byline. Um, it's, a, it's a foggy memory for someone after they forgot they knew me. It's if if you're gonna if you're gonna be something you've got to earn it and um, people are provided things I'm 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 drowning in privilege uh, without question um, and I recognize that and I had to learn that as well but there are times where you can't you can't dismiss struggle no matter whose struggle it is everybody has their story and so for me there was certain points where I had to learn that. Just because you look the way you look or have a certain talent doesn't mean you get anything. So you still have to find a way to earn it. Wow, I love it. Um, as we always say, leadership is an action sport, and it requires mm-hmm. movement. So we have Absolutely. to be we have to be willing to, to do something. Head knowledge is great. You know, you can be the smartest person in the world sitting in Burlington, North Carolina, or Morgantown, West Virginia, 
And But yet, if you don't figure out a way to disseminate that information or to do something with the knowledge you have, mm-hmm. it's all for naught. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, 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 I appreciate you, you, you saying that. Um, talk to me about how you overcame that, because uh, from you to go to that period in your life, or that phase in your life, to where mm-hmm. you sit now, you know, with a with a desk and a conference table and your own thermostat on the wall. How, how did how did you how did you um, articulate to 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 where you currently are? Well, I think it's because uh, following the decision not to give up on that process, even though the process became far more important to me than what the potential outcome could have been, which was. That, that spot of clarity, um, what it did for me was create my, a personal expectation. So beforehand, I would try to potentially live up to another expectation, an articulated expectation from someone else, something that might have been dictated. But there, there comes a time in your life where you actually really realize that you are responsible for yourself. Now, you, we're, if we're blessed to have um, given parents and they give and provide for us and you reach whatever magical age they say for you, 18, 19, 20, whatever, um, and then they slowly set you free and so you can have the bumps and bruises and figure life on your own is one thing. But there comes a time where you have to really recognize that you are truly alone um, because no one will do for you. Helping hands is one thing. But, you know, it's kind of like the old adage, you give a man a meal, you can teach him how to fish. Kind of, I know I'm paraphrasing that, but... Uh, a gift is a gift, but um, a direction is something else. And so I, I think at that point I figured out that if I was going to do something, it had to be on me. And so progressively, uh, whether it be through the opportunities that I sought out uh, when I was able to actually go back to school, to be hyper-involved and be engaged in more than just uh, silly pursuits, but um, it was when I recognized later um, I was defining myself as a servant leader. Um, when I recognized that I got the greatest joy um, and that it was a natural inclination for me that I liked serving others, and I, and I kind of put it in this juxtaposition. So as a kid, I hated doing chores at home. I hated it. But if I went somewhere else and someone asked me for help or I was doing something for someone else, I loved it because I was giving for them. Now, I don't know the ultimate psychology of why you hate to help your parents, Um, or you don't like doing the things that are expected of you, but I love doing the things that were gifts to others, i.e., you don't need, you don't expect me to do this, but I'm going to do this for you um, because it's going to help you. Um, Until later when I learned a lot more about student leadership, I realized that that moment um, helped me kind of recognize uh, that what I was going to do, my purpose, my sole responsibility, recognizing I was alone, is that I needed to realize what it meant to be a servant leader um, and that serving others was going to make me happiest. So that's kind of how I overcame it, recognizing my individual responsibility and then recognizing ultimately what was going to define my purpose moving forward, which was servant leadership. Awesome, awesome. Uh, What was your light bulb moment? (sighs) Well, I've had quite a few. I'm an obsessively reflective person. Um, like you didn't know that, but um, <laughs> I, so I think I have probably a thousand of them. Um, like yesterday, I had one, which is I'm sitting in a 
I'm sitting in this program uh, with students, and they're describing their experiences uh, as marginalized population, margin, members of marginalized populations on our campus. And I'm realizing and remembering why I love I do what I do what I do is to be a part of this experience with these with these young adults, these students, or these peers and these faculty. And I had a light bulb moment on I'm not fulfilling my own responsibility to myself because I'm not doing that as much as I should. That's a light bulb moment I had yesterday. The light bulb moment I had um, 10 years ago was recognizing, again, that I wasn't done learning um, and that uh, I will get greater satisfaction um, from serving in that capacity versus serving in a selfish capacity. So I don't, I don't know if I could really, outside of the watershed moment I just described to you as far as pursuing that when I was not in school at the time, uh, which I consider a seminal watershed moment in my life, um, but I've described the students from time to time throughout the years too. Um, I don't know if I have any others outside of one, and um, I was going to reference that a little bit later, but it was, and I've referenced it a little bit already, is when I was working with um, a batch of new, uh, new staff, and uh, they were being very challenged, and they were challenging me uh, and some of my other team about how and why we did things a certain way. And I was in a place where I thought, no, oh, y'all don't know nothing. I mean, you're, you're, you're young whippersnappers. I, I've been rolling this game for more than a decade, you know, blah, 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 blah. And what I kind of I had to recognize, step back from, is that year we had, if there were draft classes in, in what we do on a, you know, so in higher education, you really follow this cycle for the most part off the academic year when you find new staff or you realize staff can leave or whatever. And so you have a real opportunity to really gear up for it. And we had, I'd made some organizational changes and we were going to need to fill in a lot of positions. And so I, we had our recruitment game had to be on point. And so we did it and we did it like rock stars. And I would say we had the top draft class in the country. And, I have a lot of colleagues around the country. There are a lot of great people, but I want to say we had the best draft class. And so what I had to take a step back on is if you're going to recruit talent, you got to expect for that talent to come. And what I mean by come is they're not going to just sit back. If, if you're going to bring in the best and you, and you went out and you got the people that you wanted and you think that they're smart and you think that they have great experiences and that they're going to be able to offer you a lot, then you've got to let them do it. You can't sit there and say, no. Just, just do how I just show. Let me show. No, they. It's um. There's this quote, uh, a little snippet from a that movie, Other Guys, with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. You know that one, where they're like cops or whatever. And yeah, yeah, goes, yeah. I'm a peacock. I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. And <laughs> I had to recognize I had a lot of peacocks, and I had to let them fly. And they were gonna make us better, because if I recruit you to help them come make us better then I've got to let you make us better. Um, and what I mean by let is I can't put in obstacles. I can't dismiss. I can't dissuade. I have to recognize, you know what, you're right. And so then I spent like seven months overhauling a significant thing in our department that I let. I just took my cues from them. How is this going to best communicate? How should this look? How is this going to work best for you? I, so long, I, I said, as long as we get here, which is your comfort, your efficiency, your ability to make this work well, because I'm not going to be doing this every day. You're going to be doing it every day. So long as we get there, then you, you and show me. And luckily they were amazing and still are 
um, and their various roles in both in higher education and beyond now, uh, that they changed it. They changed it. It was a paradigm shift uh, for us as an organization and as, for me as uh, someone responsible for helping cultivate that talent. So that was a real light bulb moment for me about, again, I'm not done learning, and uh, I'm going to be best suited if I find a way to serve you to be better at what you do. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I was having that exact same conversation with a group of teachers on on yesterday, and and the whole premise was you're you're a professional. You were hired here to be a professional. I'm going to let you do a professional. Now, my job as the leader is I need to cast a vision, and I need to make sure that is concise and it's clear, and it speaks to the direction that the organization is headed. But I want you to build it. I want you to build it. I want you to develop it. I want you to set up the benchmarks. Um, and if there's some non-negotiables, then I need to put up all that information up front. And so that way you can go ahead and build the construct, whatever you need, in order to bring success. Um, but I am going to give you the capacity to do whatever it is that you need. And, and I call it um, setting up a safe space, setting up a safe environment. Yeah. Um, because the, the ultimate, the uh, the the end result is I want my folks to have a little failure, you know, because I believe the only way that you actually learn is through failure, is not being successful. Uh, If things come easy to you, then maybe you're not challenging yourself in the right areas or the right direction, and maybe you need to figure out a way to push yourself a little bit more. So I I think of failure as a positive experience, but you are the professional. Now, go build it. And my, my job is to set the vision, set the parameters, and yep. then your job is to fill in with the, with the small rocks. All the big no, rocks. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, but kind of keying off of what you just said, I think one of our bigger challenges now, especially at um, being, and I, I'm not a very big generationalist, but, you know, people are really hanging and clinging to those these days. Mm-hmm. If we look at our perspective as Gen Xers and working with millennials and the and the Z's and everything else that are coming, I think one of the hardest challenges is how do you define failure? Because a lot of younger professionals, um, because of the way uh, their approach is cultivated and their educational experience is up to that point where additional opportunities, lots of different ways to, and you didn't exactly fail, you struggled, but let's find a different way, um, or the, the way that, a lot of people are trying to articulate how parenting is um, more about uh, absolute support versus those challenge and support um, uh, paradigms that we, we talk about often. How do you teach someone that it is okay to fail? And you're, that doesn't mean you're actually a failure. You just failed at <laughs> right. this. Right. And there are other avenues where people are experiencing that. And so sometimes it's just about showing them the parallel, giving them the right analogy I sometimes make my my teams crazy because I live in metaphors because I'm mm-hmm. trying to find the metaphor that fits you best. And uh, so, for you know, you and I were talking about sports and team sports earlier. You know, if you grow up dedicating yourself to uh, something like that and you know that you have to learn a skill and you do it over a period of time, that might be an easy context for you and I to immediately identify but then we also talked about how a lot of uh, younger students these days or younger professionals these days might be more video-based. And in the video gaming, and I remember having a conversation with my, even my own son, and I was saying, you know, listen, how long did it take you to do that with that game that you enjoyed playing? Did it take you 12 hours? 
but how many times did you quote unquote die? You know, in order to get to this place, you had to learn a skill. And that's going to be the same way as you learn this math problem. That's going to be the same way as you learn how not to, you know, leave a dangling participle um, or ending a sentence in a preposition or whatever the case. You have to learn these skills, and you have to recognize that you're not going to get it right over time, and you're going to have to figure it out. So that safe space has to also include um, a definer, something that's going to help them recognize that you can acknowledge failure. You can acknowledge a failure is not being failing. Right. You know, a failure isn't failing. Uh, it's just it's just part of the bumps and bruises. And I'll be honest, with, that's one of the bigger challenges even even now. And something I've been I continually have to force myself to supplant my own perspective and recognize that you know because I'm used to getting a gut shot you know through my life and figuring out well that didn't work out. Maybe they haven't had that. Yeah. Uh, that process given to them, and so how do I how do I work with them in that regard? Love it, love it. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about sustained excellence. How do you sustain excellence? And and so that's a question I would like to, to pose to you with all of your years of, of leadership experience. How how what what things are. are what specific points do you do to sustain your excellence on a daily basis? Um, I think you have to supplant your ego, no matter how good you think you are or how good people might tell you you are. Um, I think that you have to uh, make sure that your competencies continue to grow um, because they're never done. Um, I often talk to folks about, uh, do you want a doctor that stopped reading about medicine 30 years ago, or would you rather have the one that read that new article two weeks ago? I'd rather have the one from two weeks ago, um, because otherwise I'm going to have a leech on my back or something, you know? So, you know, these old ancient practices um, can fit some equations and some can't. Um, I I think I also need to seek out my own mentorship, and that's something that I always have to challenge myself on, is who mentors me? Who's going to give me good feedback? Because no matter how approachable you are, no matter how affable you are, no matter how trusted you are, there's still there's always going to be this small little veil of concern from staff that work with you that, right. oh, you're the boss, so I don't know if I can give you the straight feedback. Every once in a while you get lucky and you can have someone that recognizes that as long as you give it to me straight and we can walk out this door being good and we're cool and no problem, then you can tell me whatever you need to tell me. But it's really hard for people to get there. So. Where are you going to find that mentor that you share enough information with so they can go, oh, no, man, you were wrong? Or do you, do you really want to think about it? Can you try this? You know, so sometimes getting that peer feedback is really important. I think for a lot of leaders, that's very hard for them to maintain. Um, and uh, because whereas we might be able to go, like you and I have someone that I know we've looked up to for 20-plus years, and she's amazing and uh but it's not someone that we call with frequency to go, hey, I've got this problem. But it's someone, I know her voice is in our head a lot, but who do you call right now? I mean, who do you get that feedback from? And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I mean, who are my peers and my colleagues that can give me that straight feedback? So that's how you sustain excellence. Yeah. Um, you know, I think those three things are, are, are really strong pieces. And I like to read. And so for me, if something comes out, even if it's something I think I've got down, I'm going to read it, and uh, and I'm going to ask other people to read it with me. 
Because that's the other thing. Don't be the only one with the with the diamond ring. You know, if you, if you find something, uh, then if I'm going to read something, I'm I'm going to I'm going to get ten copies of it and make sure other people that I'm working with are going to read that too. Um, if I and I've I've taught some grad courses in the past, and so I also have to kind of think of it that way. If I'm going to develop a curriculum on something that's important, what am I? And these are professional level people. Then I have to think of it in that framework. So. I have to continue to inspire them to want to continue to learn more as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, what is one thing that is really exciting you about your leadership currently? Man, opportunity. Um, mm. I, I work with exceptional people, and um, but there's a lot of things that I want to continue to change about uh, what we do. Um, and how we do it. Um, their focus hasn't been wrong. Their end goals haven't been wrong. Um, there's some methodology challenges I want us to work on. Um, but I have a lot of really strong uh, colleagues that work really hard. And I don't want them to not work hard. I just want to maybe to work harder in other areas so that we can broaden our impact to really pursue outcomes that aren't daily but progressive. Um, I'm not a big fan of hoping and praying uh, that something's going to work out. Um, I'm not a big fan of hoping we're just going to fix this on that day. Uh, those will always come up, but we need to be planners. Um, we need to be preparers. And it takes extra effort and it takes extra work to do that and can kind of sometimes take the joy out of it. Um, but that's if you don't recognize the joy at the end. There's nothing better than accomplishing something and knowing that you did or even there's nothing better than knowing that something didn't work out and then you tried almost everything to make sure that that worked out. So uh, my biggest uh, exciting part right now in what I do is that I've got folks that um, kind of drank my Kool-Aid a little bit. Every once in a while they're still a little resistant, and that's fair, uh, but they know, where my, they know where I'm trying to serve this drink from. And I'm not doing a Jim Jones. Um, I'm just trying to get them to uh, see that, if I've got this experience or this is what best practices mean, um, what attends to us best? What's going to fit our, our culture best? And if we want to change that culture, then what? Uh, so it's opportunity. That's what excites me the most right now. And the people I get to work with every day. Um, truly uh, kind, dedicated people that want to do good things. And that's important. That's really important. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, Dr. McDonald, let's roll through the speed round at this point in time. This is the one I've been dreading. All right, go. <laughs> what was holding you back from becoming a world-class leader? Ego. Yeah. Uh, what is the best leadership advice you have ever received? Try to say yes as much as possible. Awesome, awesome. Do you have an Internet resource like Evernote that you would love to share with Leadership Nation? It's funny you brought up Evernote because I do use Evernote, um, and I nowhere near use it to its capacity, and I'm always trying to challenge myself to do more with it because I think it's incredibly robust, mm -hmm. and I want to find a better way because I'm one of those people that obsesses about, should I put it in this folder? Should I put it there? Do I want that <laughs> printed? Should that be in my desk? And so um, I need to find space, and I think Evernote can serve that to where, because we have all these different platforms and their expectation is that we have things at our fingertips, it's just finding the right method. And 
Um, it's really good. I'm not crossed over to getting it for my entire group um, because there's some other platforms that can do that for us, but I do like Evernote a great deal. It's on my phone, my tablet, and my computer at work and my computer at home. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, what leadership book would you recommend to Second Chance Nation? And I thought a lot about this one. Um, and to kind of go back to what I my disclaimer at the beginning, which is I think you can find leadership um, in a lot of different places. The book that meant a lot to me when I was just starting to kind of get a drive to want to pursue um, advancement or opportunities for more impact um, is uh, Tipping Point by Gladwell. Um, mm. I... I remember I read that book in like five hours. I mean, I, I drank that sucker. Um, not only is because Gladwell's a fantastic writer, um, makes incredibly digestible, tangible um, pieces, but I, from a concept, like I told you before, I live for the metaphor. Um, what's going to communicate? And for me, from a leadership perspective, every leader has the potential to be a tipping point or to identify a tipping point for the organization. And in fact, it, it behooves them as their responsibility to be that tipping point. Um, status quo is great. It'll pay the bills, maybe. Um, but as things continue to evolve uh, and the challenges in addressing the needs of a far broader constituency than ever before, no matter what industry you're in, then it is important for us to always remember that there, there is a tipping point. You can be that tipping point. Um, and so to see some of the examples that he provided um, God, that was almost 20 years ago, um, really still resonates with me today. I, I really like that book as far as a motivational piece for me from a leadership perspective. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand-new world, identical to Earth, but no one, but, but you knew no one. You uh, still had all of your experience and knowledge you currently have, uh, and you also have your food and shelter, which is taken care of, but all you have is your laptop and $500. What would you do for the next seven days? Well, on that first day, I'm going to try and find a Wi-Fi I can get up on my laptop So, <laughs> um, because i got to find out where I am. So if it's, in, if it's an exact earth, because you know me, I'm going to dismantle this, sucking, this, uh, this sucker. So am I in West Virginia or am I in some place that just happens to be like earth, right? So right. do I know the language? So if I don't know the language, I'm going to take some of that 500 bucks and I'm going to go find me a book. And that's going to be somehow, how do you get through this country wherever you are with these phrases or something else? Because I'm going to have to learn how to navigate at the beginning until I learn the language. Because 500 bucks ain't getting me home if I'm not home. You know what I mean? So, um, and then I'm going to go find, uh, so you said food and shelter, but you didn't say clothing. So if I'm, I'm naked, I need to go find me something to put on. So I'm going to take... <laughs> I'm going to take some of that money and go get me some clothes. If I am clothed, then if I'm going to be able to move, move and navigate whatever society I'm in, I've got to figure out. So there's going to be some code switching that's going to happen here more than likely. What kind of environment am I in? Uh, like I'm not going to roll up in a bow tie if this is a T-shirt and shorts. You know what I'm saying? So I've got to figure out where I'm at and start dressing the part um, to figure out what's my next step. Um, and then after that, um, I'm going to figure out and I have to identify allies. And if that means um, finding a way to um, utilize these funds to help others so that then I can get other allies. 
So because I don't know what my mission is yet. I've got to define what's my next step. I know everything I know now, but if there's not a university that needs someone to help run student affairs and residence halls, then, you know, I've got to find my, utilize my skill set somewhere else. So if that means I need to go back to making sandwiches or going back and I've learned a lot about buildings and facilities and stuff now, not enough to make it in that industry, but I can get an apprenticeship maybe. So that means I'm going to need 500 bucks. I'm going to need to get some steel-toed boots. I'm going to need to get some jeans and cargo <laughs> pants. I'm going to need to get a hard hat. You know, so I'm going to have to find my way. So I've got to get a lay of the land uh, so that I can be successful. Another thing you didn't mention is you just said me. Now, because if my, my, my wife and my son are with me, then I hand the $500 over to my wife and I ask her I do it. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Because she's you. the boss. She's yes. the boss. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and last question for you. When you first heard Second Chance Leadership, what immediately came to your mind? You know, it's funny, you know, I don't think uh, it, made, it made me think of the word chance. So, uh, what is the chance that I have the opportunity to be a leader? Um, is this a second chance that I've created for myself? Is this a second chance that's been given to me? Um, is this a second chance I have to create for myself? So, um, I think chance um, also in that not everybody has the opportunities that we have to be a leader. Um, not everybody feels like they have the capacity to be a leader. So what chance uh, engagement occasion did we have to make us feel that way? Um, so, you know, I, I got into the etymology of the term and the word and everything else to try and figure out, because like I said, it's not like I don't overthink things. Um, but for me, uh, what I left it with was um, I – I put it on you. I said, okay, why is Devo asking me and talking about second chance leadership? Um, and it made me think of you and it made me think of your innate sense of grace um, for others and that there's always a chance. There's always an opportunity. I've never seen you turn your back on anybody. Um, and so to me, it kind of defined you for me. And so, and the things I try to emulate about the people that are important in my life, it sort of made me go, well, do I emulate that? Do I make sure there are second chances? Do I make sure I don't turn my back on an opportunity to help someone else like I know D would? So that's kind of where I went. So, yeah, you got four stories because you know you would. Um, that's what I think of when I thought about second chance leadership. Awesome, awesome. Well, my brother, I truly appreciate you, your words of wisdom. Uh, this has been great. Uh, anytime I have an opportunity to connect with you, uh, it's like we just saw each other yesterday. Yeah. You know, you, we, we don't miss a beat when we get together. So uh, I would have loved to have seen you yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for me, uh, Devon, uh, but also thank you to Leadership Nation, too, who will have a chance to listen to your words of wisdom and, and, and hopefully soak it up. Um, Again, continue, uh, Godspeed, continue to go do great things and, and, and live the life and, and help cultivate and teach others. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Greetings, Leadership Nation. This is your boy, Devon Carson. I want to say thank you very much for tuning in to this latest episode. We hope that you all enjoyed it. 
I do have a small ask in favor of you. Please make sure you subscribe to Second Chance Leadership Podcast. We want to make sure that every Thursday you get the latest and the greatest episode. Also, we'll ask that you would leave a comment and also leave a rating of five stars. Once again, your comment is invaluable to us. We want to make sure that we continue to improve the show and make sure that we are meeting all of your leadership needs. Until next time, Leadership Nation, be easy. Thank you.